Welcome back to episode 26 in our study of the book of Revelation. This episode is called The Sixth Trumpet. I'm Sam Bracken, your host. Our teacher is Dr. Breck England, who is discussing the book of Revelation through the lens of the temple. We are reading Revelation chapters 8 and 9, where seven angels with seven trumpets signal the judgments that fall on the earth during the Great Tribulation. We've discussed the first through the fifth trumpets. Today, we'll move on to the judgment of the sixth trumpet. Well, in the ancient temple of Jerusalem, the, the priests would sound a silver trumpet every morning, every morning of the week, and then it would cycle back the next week. It was the same cycle every week. They would read a psalm that was designated for that day. And what's going on in Revelation 9 is the same thing as happened in Jerusalem, only it is happening in heaven. So there's a heavenly temple and an earthly temple. Now, on the sixth morning of every week, the temple priests would read Psalm 93 to the encircling worshipers. It was like they had a prayer circle every morning. And uh, the priests would read a scripture to them. And on, on the sixth day of the week, they would read uh, Psalm 93. Now, this psalm praises the power of the Lord in commanding the waters of the earth. It's about water. I want you to read verses 1, 3, and 4. Okay. The Lord reigneth. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yea, than the mighty waters of the sea. Now the prophets often compared the destructive power of Satan to a deadly flood. That's a common metaphor in the scriptures. The Lord controls Satan, but allows his forces to sweep the unrepentant off the land when they're ripe in iniquity, as the book of Ether says. When the sixth trumpet sounds in Revelation, an army rises like a flood from, quote, the great river Euphrates, and sweeps away one-third of the wicked, as it says in Revelation chapter 9, verses 13 through 16. Could you read that for us? Sure. The sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, which had the trumpet, Loose the four angels, which are bound in the great river Euphrates. And four angels were loosed, which were prepared for an hour and a day and a month and a year, for to slay the third part of men. And the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000 thousand. You know, my son Bo talks about this. He's like, what's, what's up with your Euphrates River being down and what's going on with all that? And, mm. you know, he wants us to answer that. So we'll see what happens. Huh? Well, well, we'll, we'll give him some ideas here. In Revelation, water is a bivalent symbol. You remember that term? It can have destructive power, but it can also have purifying power. Mm -hmm. uh, washing, as you know, is an important part of the temple ceremony. Mm -hmm. And we, we symbolically cleanse ourselves as we enter the house of the Lord. 
So before uh, sacrificing at the temple in Jerusalem, a worshiper would wash at the pool of Shiloh, which is um, a little tranquil pond beneath the Temple Mount. I've been there and seen it. Yep, me too. Um, and that ensures ritual purity mm -hmm. as they go up to the temple. Uh, Nephi called this the very same pool the waters of Judah or the waters of baptism. Oh, interesting. That's in First Nephi 20, verse 1. At the Feast of Tabernacles, which happened every year, the high priest would bring up from this pool a golden pitcher of water and pour it over the altar to purify it. Now, Jesus happened to be in Jerusalem that, at that time, and he was watching this ordinance, and he cried out to the people as the priest poured the water over the altar. He let out a cry, and he said, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And that's in John 7.37. Let him come to me and drink of the living water that only he can give, right? Now, those who refuse the living water, well, they're going to face some water too. <laughs> but they're going to drown, okay? Mm, very interesting. Instead, in a, in a flood of devastating warfare. Okay. In his day, um, the prophet Isaiah reproached the Israelites for, quote, refusing the waters of Shiloh that go softly. And by their refusal of that living water, they invited foreign armies to sweep the land like a raging flood. And this is a quote from Isaiah. Behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria and all his glory and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks. That's in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 7. Now, Isaiah doesn't mean that there will be a flood of water. That's a metaphor, a symbol mm -hmm. for the flood of an army that will overcome the wicked. Okay. okay. Um, and the river he speaks of, that Isaiah speaks of, is the Euphrates, which was the a boundary between Assyria and uh, the Promised Land. Mm -hmm. okay. Now, Euphrates flows south, north to south, from the highlands of Turkey. It flows through Mesopotamia, what was once called Assyria, down to the uh, Persian Gulf. So that's a kind of boundary. So why do these destroying armies come out of the river Euphrates? Because the Euphrates has been a symbol of the Lord's judgment since the time of Isaiah. According to Margaret Barker, uh, a very fine scriptural uh, scholar, okay? So let's get clear on the geography here. As I said, the Euphrates River still flows through that country we now call Iraq. Mm -hmm. But in ancient times, it represented the eastern boundary of the land that was claimed by King Solomon. Mm -hmm. So the Israelites saw Euphrates as the border between the promised land and the heathen, the Gentiles. Yeah, right, right. And from that direction came the armies that threatened and eventually destroyed Israel. Okay. Uh, the armies of Assyria, which took the ten tribes away, mm -hmm. and Babylon, which um, destroyed Jerusalem, uh, sweeping over the land like a flood. flood. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, in ancient times, the Euphrates did flood periodically. And it revived for the people memories of Noah's flood. Mm -hmm. It was quite destructive. One, one scholar says that, quote, as a symbol of terrifying destruction, 
flood was well nigh ubiquitous in Eastern literature, or rather near Eastern literature, as exemplified by the cosmogonic myths describing battles between the forces of order and chaos. Now, the word cosmogonic simply means um, the battle between order and chaos. Out of this came creation. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, Joseph Smith translation equates the river Euphrates with the, quote, bottomless pit. Mm. It's all symbolic language. Okay. So in summary, the Euphrates was a powerful symbol to the house of Israel. It was a symbol of chaos and overwhelming destruction. They feared it. Okay. The Euphrates also, and, and here's your, uh, your astronomical connection. Okay. Mm -hmm. In the sky, there is a constellation called Eridanus. It was to the ancient people, they thought of it as the river of night. And it flowed across the sky from um, Aquarius. If you remember, Aquarius is a zodiac symbol, and it's a constellation in the sky that to them represented a man holding a uh, water jug, pouring water out of the jug. And uh, he would pour that water across the sky and that was called the River of Night, or yeah. Eridanus. To the ancients, it was a mirror of the earthly river Euphrates. Mm. Okay. okay, So there's a river in the sky that's Euphrates, and a river on the earth that's Euphrates. So you have to remember that these are astrological symbols as well. Mm -hmm. and, and there is, of course, in astrology, there is also Sagittarius, who is the, uh, the, the locust, Okay, so out of Euphrates comes the locust, mm -hmm. all right? Sagittarius arose from the Euphrates, which was the lowest southernmost sphere of heaven, the celestial counterpart of the deep or nether sea. You're looking south, you're seeing Sagittarius. It's the fall of the year. Mm -hmm. and, and so, in other words, it's a symbol of uh, oncoming destruction, all right? Mm -hmm because that's what it meant to them. So it makes sense that the swarms of locusts and the armies of Satan would rise by their hundreds of thousands, or like a flood from Euphrates, which is a symbol of hell, of the abyss of Satan. Okay. Oh, the bottomless pit, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm okay. you. Here's another interesting note. There is a famous Greek myth about a character named Phaethon, who was the son of the sun god. And one day, he steals his father's chariot, which carries the sun across the sky, okay? And he, didn't, he wasn't trained to do it. So he rode wildly through the sky, burning the earth and so forth, and until he uh, lost control and he fell like a burning star into the river Eridanus, or Euphrates. Mm -hmm. Now in Greek, Phaethon, means the radiant one or the burning one. He sounds like Lucifer being uh, pitched out of heaven. Exactly. Phaethon and, and, and Lucifer, which means light bearer, mm. okay, are similar myth figures. Uh, both of them rebel against the light. They both try to take control of the cosmos and both fall like lightning from heaven and both end up in 
the Euphrates in Eridanus, yeah, yeah, okay? The Euphrates in the sky, mm -hmm. from which the fallen angel Lucifer directs his war against the posterity of Adam and Eve. So the judgment of the sixth trumpet is war. Huge armies clashing against each other. Yes, the battle of the sixth trumpet represents suicidal warfare. Wow. Okay. Hugh Nibley says this chapter of Revelations, chapter 9, is the essence of tragedy. It is not the good guys against the bad guys. The Book of Mormon keeps telling us that, and we won't believe it. Whether it's Shiz versus Coriantumr in Ether 15, or the Nephites versus the Lamanites in Moroni 9, Millions of people die because they hate their own blood. The wrathful day of the Lord is every day. Every day that his children kill each other out of pride and covetousness. And war is a constant feature of the Great Tribulation. In Revelation 9, verse 13, the four horns of the golden altar say to the sixth angel, Loose the four angels which are bound in the great river Euphrates. What does that mean? Well, the horns on the altar of the temple in Jerusalem, they represented divine authority over the four quarters of the earth. A horn was a symbol of power. When sacrificing at the altar, the priest would mark each horn with the blood of the lamb, which would signify, you know, the universal atonement was intended for all the earth. Uh, and in Revelation 9, 13, the horns speak, okay? They speak with authority. This isn't literal. This is symbolic, mm -hmm. obviously. And they order up more severe chastisements on the earth in the hope that people will repent. They, they just won't. And so the, the authority of the altar speaks and, and calls up more judgments, okay? So what about the four angels of the Euphrates River? We know the four angels from the earlier chapters in Revelation. These are the angels with authority over the four quarters of the earth. Now, their task up till now is to hold back the flood of the cosmic Euphrates. Okay? They, they pour out war upon all nations at this point, as the Doctrine and Covenants says, on the four quarters of the earth. In other words, we're talking about the four angels are simply the power of the Lord to hold back world warfare. But now they're loosed, okay? Mm. And they loose up this war upon all nations. And here, here is another instance of the decreation of the earth. They're decreating the world as if by an onrush of the primeval waters from which the world was created. And, and you can find that in 2 Nephi 8, 32. It is as the prophet Nahum says, Nahum chapter 1, verse 8, quote, with an overrunning flood, not of water, but of deadly invasion and world war, God will make an utter end of the place, meaning the place, meaning the promised land. Mm -hmm. okay. There's a great general authority passed away a few years ago, uh, Elder David R. Stone, I, I really admired. He was a, actually was a neighbor of mine. <laughs> oh, wow. And in general conference, Elder Stone described this flood of evil in very, very memorable terms. Would, would you read what he said? Sure. During the days of ancient Israel, the people of the Lord were an island of one true God, surrounded by an ocean of idolatry. 
the waves of that ocean crashed incessantly upon the shores of Israel over and over, despite the prohibition of the Lord, despite what prophets and priests had said, Israel, when seeking after strange gods, and bowed down before them. Okay, so here you have Elder Stone using this flood symbolism in the same way that John does in Revelation. Although the Jews at Jerusalem kept up their religious appearances, they held the ideology of Cain. As, uh, as Nibley um, says, and this is a quote from him, uh, based on the exchange of life for property, most apparently, of course, in time of war. This is the world's economy, that is warfare, mm. where Satan is the prince of this world, mm. close quote. Now, Satan's economy is a system of fraud. Prophet Micah described it this way. Shall I count them pure with their wicked balances and with the bag of deceitful weights? For the rich men thereof are full of violence, and the inhabitants thereof have spoken lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Close the quote there. E even the religious authorities joined in this scheme at that time. Quote, the priests thereof teach for hire, and the prophets thereof divine for money. They try to build up Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. And that's Micah chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. So what John sees, he sees that because of frauds and felonies, a blitzkrieg of invaders falls on them. Okay, So they invite it by their, their dishonest practices and their evil practices. So now we, get, now we, we read Revelation chapter 9, verses 17 through 19. I saw the horses in the vision, and them that sat on them, having breastplates of fire, and of jacinth and brimstone. And the heads of the horses were as heads of lions, and out of their mouths issued fire and smoke and brimstone. By these three was the third part of men killed, by the fire, and by the smoke, and by the brimstone, which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents and had heads, and with them they do hurt. So what John sees here is a massive war, a massive invasion. This army conquers Jerusalem, murders a third of the people, and um, propagandizes the rest. John saw this attack on Jerusalem in his own lifetime. Right. You have to remember this. Right. I read Jerusalem, the biography, and it gives great detail about this terrible invasion. And it was brutal. He, he saw it. Whether he was present or not, I don't know. But he must have been fully aware of it. Yeah. Because what happened is Jerusalem was essentially... Um, destroyed it was by the Romans in the in the city yeah. the city was uh, was wiped out it was and, annihilated yeah. it was just annihilated with bloodbath and right. it was horrific that happened in the year 70 AD right okay so this would have been about between 30 and 40 years after the Savior's crucifixion right okay the the horsemen that John talks about are quote human beings driven by evil spirits said Tychonius who was a a commentator of the time. He said, their power is in their mouth. That is, 
they speak the words of false teachers, which are like fire, smoke, and sulfur. So this war is not just a war of um, weapons, it's a war of words. Okay, it's a war of false doctrine, false teachers. These uh, people um, who are fighting each other, it, it's important to remember that there is, this is not good guys versus bad guys. They are all bad guys, okay? And they're killing each other. The, the Jews who rose up against the Romans were rising up essentially because of the economy. They were mad about Roman domination, and they were mad about losing some of their revenues. And the Romans, of course, were pirates, <laughs> pillagers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is, a, this is a war of all against all. They were like Gadianton robbers. The gangsters insist they are the good guys, right? If you remember in the Book of Mormon, the gangster uh, sends a message to Moroni saying, hey, we are the good guys here. Yeah, yeah. You're the bad guys. You've offended us. And Moroni <laughs> says, I beg your pardon. So anyway, the commentator Tyconius says, the power of their tails are the princes of the world. You see the tails have, that have heads? Well, these are the princes of the world. And those who are unpersuaded by their power of their mouth, okay, are crushed by the power of fire, smoke, and brimstone. So if you won't go along with us, we'll kill you. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, the, uh, that's the Satan uh, creed, right? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's what tyrants throughout history have always done. They say, if you'll go along with us and let us pillage and rob you, if, if you don't, we will kill you. So it's one or the other, your yeah, money no, or your life. Yeah, right? not many options. Not many good options. <laughs> your money or your life is not a very good uh, set of options, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. That was the kind of world that John lived in. And it was also the kind of world he foresaw for us. We are too familiar with this pattern of tyranny, the enslaving of populations, the mass bombing of cities, and even genocides. We, we know about this. Mm -hmm. And we don't doubt that this was John's vision of our times. So regardless, these repeated chastisements that were intended to humble them, the people remain indifferent to it all. So could you read for us Revelation 9, verse 20? The rest of the men which were not killed by the plagues, yet repented not of their works of their hands, that they should not worship devils, and idols of gold and silver. Neither repented they of their murders, nor their sorceries, nor their fornications, nor their thefts. That's the world John lived in, and you got to agree that much of our own culture looks like this. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So the image of the flood in the sixth trumpet symbolizes warfare. Exactly. But it's important to remember that human beings have always done this. They've always made war on each other all the way from the time of Cain and Abel right up till today. So we're all of us, Adam and Eve, and we get to choose. And we're going to experience conflict, whether we like it or not. We all, no matter when we live, in the past or the present or the future, have to undergo the 42 months of great tribulation, okay? We've talked about that. Mm -hmm. And that inevitably includes warfare. Of course, warfare has become far more destructive in our time, and it will continue to get worse. And that's why in Revelation, John sees things getting really, really bad. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, you see these world wars. Mm-hmm. They used to have skirmishes. Now we have world wars. Mm-hmm. Problem is that we've failed to learn any lessons from our wars. We had a massive world war a century ago, and it, and it didn't lead to peace. Uh, just to an even worse World War II. And since then, as Joseph Smith prophesied in Doctrine and Covenants 87, war has been poured out upon all nations. The war in Ukraine shows us that we haven't gotten beyond murderous invasions and brutal wars that, that go on because men refuse to repent. As he promised in Leviticus, the Lord said, if you won't learn the lesson, the punishment will just get worse. But in the next chapter of Revelation, the morning breaks and a message of hope comes from God, as we will see in our next episode. So stay with us. I'm all about the hope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks. Right.